Yo, 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 welcome to Crate 808 and our rebranded series, we called it our Why I Love series, we're now just going to call it Digging in the Crates because that's essentially what we're doing. Digging in the Crates and we're kicking off a new series, one I cannot wait to kick off with the guests we've got on board, the Billy Woods edition where we get a special guest to come on and bring on a song of that artist and why they love this song and today we are talking Christine by Billy Woods. Black car on a back street, low me asleep on the back seat, low by street lamps in the blackness in between. My parents argument, picking up speed in and out bad dreams. That's what they said when she saw him dead in the road. Featuring Mike Ladd from 2022's Ethiopes with rapper, writer, and educator Def C in the house. How are you doing, Def? I'm good, man. I'm good. Live from my from my classroom. Literally, in in I live after, I think I just finished teaching an hour ago. Wow! So I'm I'm here. I'm definitely I'm definitely uh definitely a little winded. I can't lie, but you know, whenever it comes to talking about people like Woods or people like Kai, I always get super excited, and mm. I can't wait to nerd out with you about them. Mate, that's it. And there is, there we go. Easter egg right there. There is a car episode coming as oh, well. Oh, damn. My fault. No, no, no. I love it. I love the fact that you're dropping it in there, like a little gem like that. Uh, before we move into this incredible work, we just got to say that it's, it's so nice to have you on. From All Debts, uh, Public and Private, this year's The Gollum of Brooklyn soundtrack. This man's been putting in work. So please do go check this man's work out initially uh, and we've been big fans so i'm looking forward to getting this on the cards um to death let's kick it off let's start with woods and i ask you what song you would like to talk about open like we've done an mf doom series we've done a jay Della series we've done all these other series and you know the catalogs are huge but there's some certain prime hits everyone goes all caps or accordion for doom you pick christine for woods and I was wondering, before we go into your history with Woods, uh, why? Why was Christine the one that you wanted to dip into? Um, I think for me, one of the things I appreciate the most about Woods, as I as I pull the lyrics up here, is that his, his storytelling exists in a non-linear fashion. And a lot of times it the the it's it's almost like um like time is filtered through a concept or a theme in his writing. So, you know, if you're hearing, if you're hear, hearing a Woods song, for example, about, I'm trying to think of a, an example. So like the, uh, there's a song I love on maps called agriculture. Mm-hmm. It's about Woods uh, essentially almost like a, like if Woods retired looking back on, his life where it's kind of constantly swinging back and forth between the present and allusions to the past. Lit the lamp ball before the sun rise, before sparrow cry from thistle, the kettle ball before it whistle, the sky bleed purple, the night fight before it die. Squatting in the soil with the fistful, but my hands been dirty since before I could grasp time. Before we had new names, before we was new in our own eyes, grew crooked under gargoyle glass, Two trains took off on cops before they took aim. Same greens cooking with a hot. I grew them in the shade. Used to plot on the come up, plot on my brothers. Now I get the tomatoes cropping sideways. I think that's one of his strengths as a writer. 
is his ability to do that. And a song like Christine, one of the things I love about it, in addition to obvious the obvious literary reference in the title and also like a connection, Boathouse was the one who recorded this. So Woods recorded his parts for the song in Chicago at Closed Sessions. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Yeah, back when it was Closed Session Studios. So, right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, apart from that, it's really just, I love how much Woods is able to convey by showing us something as opposed to just telling us something. Yes. And I, as somebody who teaches poetry and has been talking about that in this unit quite often over the past few weeks, it's something that I am very, very excited to talk about when it comes to Billy Woods. That's amazing. I love how you yeah. talk about time. I think time, location, spatial, just like spatial, inner space, outer space, with, with Woods, it works on so many different levels. And I'm just going to be brutally honest, and this isn't probably going to set up the series really well. I don't think I have the language required to articulate how his music makes me feel. And we're onto a bit of a mm -hmm. hiding here because we've done Rock Marciano, who's a little bit like that, but he's, he's a little bit more clear cut of the world he's building. Um, and we have Alchemist. It's very hard for me to sometimes like put that into words, how an Alchemist beat nowadays makes me feel. Um, so with Woods, I'm looking forward to unraveling this and I hope I learn. School is in. This man is in, in a classroom right now. So school is in for me right now. Because I'm look the way you've talked about his idea of um, time, I look at it in location is what I was looking, looking at. Because he has an incredibly unique um, background. So yeah. it informs his art more than, like a lot of legends will always rep where they're from. But, but Woods isn't repping where he's from for me as much as in like, it's just drip feeding you ridiculously detailed information of that place, that time, how he remembers it and how we interpret it. And I want to get into kind of like how Woods himself has talked about his own style. Yo, 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 just breaking up this episode to tell you all about the Crate 808 Patreon, a place where you can help support the show so we can make you more dope rap chat and to go out there and get some bonus episodes under your belt and also get involved with the live chats with the Crate 808 crew and guests. Go to crate808.com or go to patreon.com slash crate808. Sign up for as little as buying us lunch every month. You can get two bonus episodes, including including hidden gem album reviews from the golden era of the 90s and also you get our series focusing on MF Doom and Jay Dilla and also the Wu-Tang Chronicles. Once a month we drop an album review of every single Wu-Tang member. We're going to go through every solo album and then review it for you guys and right now it's Ghostface. Go in there, get them Ghostface Killer Editions in your catalogue. So get involved, help us grow this show and yes, big yourselves up, enjoy the rest of the episode. Boom. But let me hear about your history then with Woods generally. Like, it, I don't know, when did you first be aware of him? Uh, what made you fall in love with his music first, would you say? So I first listened to Woods via Lamar Manuel. So Lamar Manuel is a rapper, a former member of a super group of Chicago MCs called Tomorrow Kings. And Lamont had put me onto a Lucid's album with AM Breakups 
for Mad Men only. I'm dressing better than my boss. What I have's not what I want. Still, I'm thankful others make it work with less. Complacency's in my bullshit. It's deep, we'll bring a shovel. They say patience is a virtue. I got surplus, I can serve you. So my blood runs cold. My face turned purple. Down this road, let's trap. Make a man want to murder. Swore that he deserved him. Served up service with a smile. Look at me now. And I remember listening to that and being blown away because it was kind of like I didn't know anybody was making music like that outside of maybe Tomorrow Kings and outside of a few people who were influences to me coming up as like a teenager who was really first learning to take rap and the craft of rapping seriously. Mm. So um, as I'm as I'm listening to For Mad Men Only, I hear this song with a Woods verse that's like, black steel in the hour of layoffs, my dude, don't get it confused like Eldridge Cleaver. Black steel in the hour of layoffs, my dude, don't get it confused like Eldridge Cleaver. Solo ice, balls deep and white pussy still cuts like a knife when he out jooks him. Nowadays, don't even ask if the devil can fool a Muslim. Far as I'm concerned, give me Johnny Cash or Folsom. That's the focus. The rest just spins every day. I eagerly check for your next letter from the bing. With a palm open and my heart sinks. Every day you win, there's another victory for the pigs. Wrong pink faces, narrow blank eyes. But experience taught me they can take any guys. And expediency will keep an innocent inside. And I remember being like, what the fuck? Because <laughs> there's just so much... Again, that's something I really love and appreciate about Woods is there's just so he's packing so much into a very condensed amount of space. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something I've always admired in writers of any genre, really, is if you are able to convey a lot of very complex ideas in a very small amount of space, there's something that's very magical to that to me about that. Mm. So, um I think from there, it was like I, I heard shortly thereafter that he was putting out Dower Candy, which he dropped. And I listened to it and I was blown away. I didn't know you could write raps like that. I didn't know that you could. Yeah, I didn't know that you could write raps that were hyper referential and still poetic and still poignant and still able to use figurative and concrete language interchangeably and very and very interesting and unique ways. And I, I was just a fan from there. I think it was, for me, it kind of changed how I wrote a little bit. Mm. It, he was one of those rappers that I think a lot of us listen to people where it's like, I remember the first time I heard Jay Electronica rap and it was like, oh, I have permission to, to rhyme like this. Yeah. And I wrote like nothing but knockoff Jay Electronica verses for like a year. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, I'm sure you weren't the only one. I'm sure there was many of us. Yeah, oh, I'm I'm positive I wasn't the only one. Um, and Woods was one of those artists. I mean, same with Rock Marcy, same with same with Ka. You know, it was just very difficult for me to write raps that were not emulating these people I really looked up to, whose work was hitting me in a who was like inner at the intersection of a bunch of different things I valued as far as the craft of writing. And so I just kind of stayed in tune with what Woods was doing from there. But hearing somebody even articulate an image like African chess 
in the beds of dry rivers on Quito Cannavale off Dower Candy. Through the looking glass, Robert Mugabe watches Bob Marley perform Zimbabwe, filling out a body, fresh out the bush, still see the bodies. Pompeii, history will absolve me, probably. Botch robbery, Tupac in the lobby. True believers, Ian Smith on my left, dying breath, cursing these niggas. African chest in the beds of dry rivers. A stick traces plants in the silt. Angolan land, but the links Cuban built. Neat trick, now China owns the dam, your blood still gets spilt. Game sold like an AIDS quilt. Daniel Day, crazy straw up in your milk. There will be oil. Or the only thing on that high moral ground is more corpses. You know, oh, like bro. things, right? Yeah, like just lines like that where it's not—it's a punchline, but it's not the traditional punchline in terms of. I think a lot of us as hip hop fans understand it to be. Mm. You know, it's not like the typical Lord finesse, Big L, um, Cassidy punchline where it's like set up punch, set up punch, set up punch. It's just these very interesting ways of of flipping a lot of cliches that we're used to on their ears and just reintroducing us. It's, it's amazing, man. What Billy Woods can do as a writer is phenomenal. And the fact that he's able to make it work as a rapper is even more incredible to me because it's, it's almost, you know, for it to work that well on the page as it does on the record is a very rare thing to be able to accomplish, but he accomplishes it beautifully. Bro, the, the way you've broke that down is immense. That's exactly what I'm talking about. When you think about like um, a rapper's performance on a mic, the way you're delivering these words, it's good enough to write them in, in like just in a fo- in a form, you know, and you think that's incredible. And, and I know a lot of, and this is int- my next question to you was like, for someone who hasn't heard Woods, and I'm hoping this series kind of opens the doors for some of our listeners who are more schooled in the 90s era of hip hop. Um, how would you describe his work to a new new listener? Like, or how could you get them in, do you think? Because I'm wondering if Woods would have worked in the 90s as well as he does now, um, because the 90s just feels so different, if you know what I mean. But yeah, wh- where are you at with that? Huh, I think... If you're somebody who was a fan of hip hop in the 90s, mm. you you probably somebody like Woods. He's kind of like Bizarro Sticky Fingers in terms of his <laughs> delivery. Yeah. Yeah. There's no real, it's on beat, but it's not so loyal to the beat that it's hyper-technical, right? Mm. So it's not like he doesn't approach rapping the way somebody like Big Pun would approach rapping or somebody even like Big L. You know, he approaches it more like Elwood or Jay-Z, where it's just kind of like like late 90s, early 2000s Jay-Z, like volume three Jay-Z. I think where it's almost like the delivery feels very fluid and natural, but there's a lot of very intentional work being done to make the delivery work. 
lot of speculation on the monies I've made, honeys I've slayed, how is he for real, is that really paid, hustlers I've met or dealt with direct, is it true he stayed in beef and slept with a tech, with the position you hold, can you really match a triple platinum artist, buck by buck, but only a single going gold, Rockefeller sh- so I think that would probably be, I think like late nineties, Jay-Z would be a good point of comparison. Um, mm, I think, I, yeah, I think, um, I think the easy go-to answer is always like LP and company flow, big just, but you know, I think, and maybe Big Just would probably be closer, but even then, like those guys were very much about doing as much with the words as they could. Mm. And I think Woods is a lot more intentional and a much better user of space. I think that's something that he and somebody like Pusher T have in common, mm. where they they really know they're able to drive home a lot of really poignant observations by using negative space in their music pulling up in that new toy the wrist on that boy rock star like pink floyd waving that rude boy i'm waving at you boy ran off on the plug too like true goy so i think that that's somebody else i would compare woods to as well and there are people who might listen to me say this and they're like what the fuck are you talking about (laughs) and it's and you know you might be right i mean people hear the same thing differently all the time and there may be people who hear Woods' delivery and it's not necessarily their cup of tea, which I get. But at the same time, I think that what Woods does as a rapper and a writer is phenomenal. Like he's one of my he's one of my favorite writers ever. Mm. Any genre, any medium. And it would be a lot more difficult to put him in that category if he were more focused on being a hyper-technical rapper. Because I think that there are some limitations that that places on you, even though I think his rhymes are very sneakily technical in a way that people wouldn't necessarily expect. Mm, They're measured and potent, bro. That's what They're measured like he has thought that out. Like We're going to talk about Carr as well at some point. He has thought that out. I mean, they are naturally gifted, but it feels like hours and years are put behind like most of these lines and you feel it. Like you feel that as an earned line. Do you know what I mean? Like he'll say something about, I mean, when he talks about even the opening lines on this track, Christine, there are some moments where you're like, you can't have not experienced that. You must have yeah. experienced the lulled by street lamps and the blacklist in between. Black car on a back street, little me asleep on the back seat, low by street lamps and the blackness in between. My parents argument, picking up speed in and out bad dreams. That's what they said when she saw him dead in the road. Now I know it was the shadow of them black wings. Unmarked followed us for 10 blocks. Nick said if they try to make the stop, I'm fleeing. Brake lights bright red, lit his face like a demon. We took a left, they went straight. We all laughed, but I seen it. Some had the trap in the trunk of the beamer. Some kept the cracks up front so they could eat them. Some went through the windshield. Some went to the precinct. Some got yapped out driver's seats and parking lots and left bleeding. Some things only make sense in their time. I paid a hundred for the whip. So when police took it, I never paid no never mind. Easy come. When he's talking like that, you've lived that, bro. 
Like that is yeah. that element of you can't just make that up. Or he may have an incredible imagination, of course, as well. But there are just some moments which feel like they're so personal. Um, yeah. Carr, again, being one of the most personal MCs, but we'll get onto that. Yo, what up, y'all? This is DJ Premier, and you're checking out the Crate 808 Podcast. Hey, yo, 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 this is your boy, Farrell March, and right now, you are rocking live with the Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, what's up? This is Del, the funky homo sapien, down with hieroglyphics, the funk pimp. Come on here for some good shit. Yes, yes, you're rocking with the best. This is the one and only Just Blaze. Right now, you're checking out the Crate 808 Podcast. This is Open Mike Equal, and you are currently rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, peace and love to this homeboy, Man, and you're rocking with the Crate 808 podcast. It's the place to be. So good for you. Hey, what's happening? This is Trevor Nelson, your RB ambassador, talking all things RB and hip hop on the Crate 808 podcast. Hey, yo, yo, check it out. This is the rapper Big Pooh, and I need you, 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 and you to make sure you check out this week's episode of the Crate 808 podcast. Tell everybody the rapper says so. But I was thinking then for the, this is interesting. I'm wondering, there's two things here. One was what you said about Jigger and Pusha T. And I'm so glad because Jay-Z, I was scared to bring up Jay-Z in a comparison yeah. with Woods. So I'm kind of glad you got there because I was thinking about it and they may differ wildly, but what they do brilliantly, and we had Mick Jenkins on recently talking about the same thing is- That's my man. Shout out Mick Jenkins. That's my man. There you go. It's all connected. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. as a person who is honourable and into his craft, uh, the idea of- do you know what? Here's an entry point that challenges you to go further in like a reference or a off-cut punchline about a certain African leader I've not heard about or whatever. And it leaves it open that you don't actually need it. You don't need to look deeper into it. They aren't a requirement to go in, but they're there if you want to go in. Do you know what I mean? If you want to really dig into a reference, you can, but it's never mm-hmm. to the detriment of Woods's kind of overall art i always feel like he does that really well and jay-z obviously does that really well as well but i was then thinking about how you're saying how we has stuck out as a writer do you know with hip-hop's maturation as it's matured and we've matured as humans i'm wondering if billy woods only would work at this time because Mm. i'm wondering in the 90s if we had the ears to like with all that context behind him to come out this last decade or 15 years or so, I know he was around for a lot longer, but who's made a real impact in the 2010s. I'm wondering Mm. if it's because we as listeners have also got older and our experiences are different with, with hip hop. I'm not sure if I would listen to Woods as avidly in the nineties as I would have now, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I, I do. That's an excellent point. I mean, just as a, so I'm 34. So I grew up mostly having to catch up on nineties hip hop. Being, you know, 12, 13, 14. And the stuff I was really checking out was like Jay-Z, The Blueprint, Nas, Stillmatic. Like, that's where I was at. I had to go back and listen to Illmatic or It Was Written. I had to go back and listen to and listen to Reasonable Doubt in Volume 1 and Volume 2 and Mm. even Volume 3, to be honest with you. So for me, I think there was a lot of love and kinship and appreciation with that golden era of music because it was almost like especially considering the climate of the early 2000s around hip-hop in the united states for teenagers it was like i was i felt like i was part of a secret club like we knew these special skills that nobody else knew when it came to rhyming 
because of who we were studying. People like Wu, people like Nas, people like Doom, people like Company Flow, people like Chino XL and Razzcast. It, it really felt like, or typical Cats and Vak Hill from Chicago, it really felt like there was this, there was this secret understanding of hip hop that we'd gotten from really doing the knowledge and understanding stuff that may have seemed to be unconventional by dint of image or appearance or whatever, mm. but in fact was actually pretty conventional. It was just the sounds of the production had changed maybe. Yeah. But I remember being 13, 14 years old and listening to Fantastic Damage and not knowing what to do with it. I remember listening to Funk Crusher Plus and outside of Eight Steps to Perfection, not really knowing how, what to do with it. I remember listening to maybe the first couple songs off the Cold Vein by mm -hmm. Cannibal Ox and being like, what the hell is this? I shoot the five, and on a good day, I bite bullets. We use bear traps to catch weasels. Metal mouth diesel and the bite weasel. We in the cataclone. Nappy had it, never used the comb. And built with the forces that blew away Dorothy's home. And I think a lot of it has to do with maturation of our ears as well. Mm. And I also think it has to do with, I also think it has to do with something that's really cool that's happening in hip hop, which is there's been this kind of, this withdrawal of boundaries and, and stratification within hip hop, mm. you know, like I think that I don't think that we are necessarily at a point where in hip hop, things like genre, subgenre, region really matter as much. You just kind of like the things that you like. Yeah. And there's a there's a reason behind that. And when you're a kid, obviously. I think now one of the cool things is you you love the music that's closest to you in proximity. So whether that's via social media or via physical location, what have you. And I think something that I really love about Woods as a rapper is that like you can't pin his style down to one region. I mean, obviously, it's very New York in terms of the stories he tells and the references he makes and mm. his song titles and all of that. But at the same time, it's not like you can listen to Woods and be like, oh, he's a New York rapper, which would have been the case at a different time in in the history of hip hop. So I think that I think that's one of the I think that's one of the coolest things about Woods and people's appreciation for him now is just like we don't give a fuck about what other people think about our music taste. We just like what we like. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Absolutely. And that kind of disbanding of subculture, categories, boundaries, like boundary-less at times, I think that kind of sometimes goes hand in hand with where the industry kind of is now. You're a working artist. I mean, you tell me like how that, because from my perspective, it's like there is no big bad boy label telling me this is what this is like, oh, this is backpack rap. This is conscious rap. This is trap mm. music. This is, and I, I think nowadays I don't feel like I have a, any kind of gatekeeper to tell me I just follow who I follow. I would never have got to someone like Iblis or, or Televangel or someone like that, their beats, if it wasn't for me listening to stuff on closed sessions, stuff on like uh, Kip Stone and people like that, where, mm. 
I hear that, I see who they're affiliated with, and I, you know, do my natural thing. And I think back, I'm wondering now if that's something to do with the industry not being so overbearing and telling us this is what hip-hop is. It's just what we want it to be. And in fact, I think the last time I've ever seen this kind of categorised or labelled was, um, uh, I think it might have been complex, and it was, uh, I think they called it art rap. Um, and yeah. like, yeah, if, if, you know, if people want to call it art rap, I haven't really thought of it that way until I, you know, read the article. But yeah, no, we're just interesting. Just interesting how we have no boundaries and it's great. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I love it too. Yeah, it's quality. Um, so going into Woods and his kind of style we've talked about there, right? I was just thinking, to, I was reading a Fader interview with him and i can't remember who did the interview but it was really good really good question where he said uh, do you like to bait the listeners uh especially listeners like me who have had a hard time to take things at face value do you bait them into overthinking things in your music and it's really interesting question because like, yeah i think a lot of the people i know who don't like woods say that you're over intellectualizing it um it's like kind of spoken word. I've heard this kind of thrown at him. And I just love how he took it back to where you took it back to, where it's like the 90s. And he was like, look, I grew up and I didn't know what I'd heard on only Built for Cuban Link straight away. I didn't know what I'd heard on Iron Man. Like I probably knew about 50% of that. Same. Like, so I don't understand the argument. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh no, um, it's just too complicated or like there's, you know, he's trying to be too overly. It's like, well, no, look, we were doing it. I think we're, they're the children of Wu in, a, in that weird way, if you know what I mean. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. No, for sure. I think Ray and Ghost specifically. I yeah. Think, and, and even ODB a little bit in terms of in, in Master Killer, in terms of there not being a fidelity to the technical 4-4 structure of most hip-hop beats. Yeah. I think you could even look at it in terms of that, too. Um, and I also think that Woods is just... I, I think people overcomplicate Woods' music. You know what I'm <laughs> yeah, saying? Yeah. I think people overcomplicate what he's talking about and the stories he's telling because if you just listen to the lyrics, it's there. Everything, everything is there. It's about being a little kid asleep in the backseat of a car. It's also about your friends potentially or loved ones dying in um, some tragic way in which a car is involved. It's it's about you know a lot of a lot of things that you use a car for that you don't want anybody to know you use the car for. I think that there is it's all there in the song. You just have to listen for it. And I think that we're just so used to, in a lot of ways, or we were at one point used to rap being spoon-fed to us in a specific kind of way that it throws us off when we hear somebody like Woods. Mm. And I think, but I also think that like, his music is not as, <laughs> yeah, it requires repeat listening to get something from it. Mm. But there are plenty of, but that's like, I mean, how many rap battles do we watch nowadays where that's the case, where it's, you know, I'm, I'm a big battle nerd. So mm. URL or King of the Dot or Rare Breed or any of these battle leagues where I'm 
hearing the conversation about such and such one on camera because there was a bar or two that somebody in the crowd didn't get at the time who was watching it live. We're, oh. I mean, we're, we're rewarded with repeat listening all the time with things that we watch or things that we listen to. And it's so bizarre to me that rap can, on occasion, boil down to something as simple as, nope, I don't like his delivery, next song. Yeah. Because I think if you listen, I think if you listen to what Woods is saying, it's just kind of, he's talking about a lot of the same stuff that a lot of rappers are, but he's adding a dimension of humanity to it that maybe isn't present or that people don't read enough into the music that they're used to, to find. And so, yeah, nah, I don't, yeah, nah. I think Woods Woods is just a really good rapper and a great writer. And mm. I think those two things can go hand in hand in very cool ways. So yeah. I think that's him. I don't I don't think there's anything overly complex about it at all. Mm. It just requires you to listen to the song maybe more than once. It, 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 look, we said this, I just said this as well earlier. Like it's there if you want it and it, it's not to the detriment. You can still listen to that song, fully enjoy it and unpick it as much as you want to. You yeah. can be nerds like us and constantly re-listen to it. Or you can see it the one time and just feel the vibe. And we haven't even talked about the production, really. But the production kind of lends itself to that as well, I feel. Like, you can sometimes just bask in the production. You don't need mm-hmm. to engage with the list, uh, lyrics every single time if you don't want to. And it's interesting because in that same interview, what you've said there earlier, you said about if you can show and not tell. And he was asked about him actually saying i want to be more clear but not really showing it and um he said he addressed that exact point you just addressed their death where he says people bend themselves into all types of pretzels uh, due to a lack of contextual contextual listening sometimes critical thinking and you know mm-hmm. there can be meanings within your art that your artist didn't intend so he he understands that like he doesn't invalidate someone's reading of that art uh, that you know he understands that i accept that reading and that's a really good interview with him to understand these things because what critical analysis can certainly contain things i didn't intend that's another thing. And you're like, yeah. And, but then he does undercut it all by saying, I would prefer if they weren't all really dumb, and which is also quite kind of funny. And he is a funny bloke. So I enjoy that. Um, but I mean, for yourself, you do you like explaining your art? like, Or do you like to just have it there? You've just brought, dropped Gollum. And, you know, I needed to look up on that to really understand the weight of that work that you'd put out. Yeah. I mean, there, there are certain conversations, I think, about the music that for me are are interesting to have. So if people pick up on certain nuggets of information and want to draw those threads out a little bit more by researching them, Mm. I I think that that's great. I think if there's a way that my music can be educational in a way that isn't too much like schoolhouse rock, I think that would be, I think that would be super fire. So, cause that was some of the music I loved growing up too. So I don't mind explaining it or or talking through it. It's really, there have been times where people have taken lyrics I've said out of context and just run away with them as narratives that are nowhere close to what I was saying in the songs. And I think sometimes that can be a little annoying and a little frustrating. Mm. But it's also a situation where as a teacher of poetry, Mm. I can tell you that the thing I say to the students is true all the time. If you have the textual evidence to support your opinion, 
it's just as meaningful as the intent of the writer. But I think sometimes people will put two and two together and give five and insist that the answer is five. You know, yeah. it's, it's like, nah, man, check your math a little bit. Just check your math a little bit more. Mm. And I, I, and you know, I don't really mind having to help people check their math. You know, <laughs> I, when it comes to my music, I think what's a bit more, I think what would be a bit more frustrating or annoying is being interviewed by somebody who had not done their research and being asked the same question I'd answered over and over and over again in multiple interviews about my music. And I think that those are, as somebody who's a huge fan of Woods, I've listened to interviews of his and read interviews of his and, you know, it becomes very readily apparent very quickly who has done their research and who hasn't Mm -hmm. just kind of based on the way that they describe his music. And I think that that's something that, can get a bit frustrating and a bit grating at times, mm. definitely. Um, but it's a weird, it's a weird catch twenty two because if people are are getting are making incorrect or false assumptions about what you're saying in your music, based on some way in which they've overcomplicated it, what it means is that they care enough about it to look that deeply into it. And so, I can't, you know. I think that's why it's not super frustrating to me. And also, I don't know, as a rapper, it felt like for years I was kind of screaming into the void for a while. Like I didn't know if there were people who were even interested in listening to my music past just kind of uh, do I like this or do I not first listen. Mm. So to be able to engage with people about the art who know how much care and intention have gone into it. That's always rewarding, I think, for any artist mm. to, to know that there are people who get it and connect with it because then you feel less alone with the art that you're making. Yeah. And then it probably informs your next piece of art, I'd have thought. I don't know. Coming from it, you know, you all, you all work in certain spaces, negative, positive spaces, and I imagine that informs your next piece of work a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, Absolutely. Hey, what's up? This is Black Thought, and you are now rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, 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 yo. This is Stretch Armstrong. Ooh-wee. My name is Bobby Garcia, a.k.a. Cool Bob Love. You're now listening to Crate 808. Hey, yo, what up, y'all? This is Prince Paul, and you're rocking with Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, it's EV Evidence, Dilated Peoples. You're rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast, my favorite shit. Let's go. Yo, what's going on, y'all? This is Master Ace from Brooklyn, New York, and you're checking out the Crate Crate 808 Podcast, Real Hip Hop. Well, let's go in then to Christine and um, this song, man. Where do you start? Uh, do you know where I actually would start is the title. Because when I first like heard Aethiopes, this is one of the songs that I didn't get the car uh, thing off the first listen and it's of course christine stephen King, and then hearing that he loves like this book as as, as just the, you know just i think he's read it most stephen king book he's ever read i think or something and i'm just wondering for you when you heard it on a first listen uh what was it that pulled you in was did you fall in love with this song straight off the bat of Ethiopes, or was there like a kind of journey with it i mean the first so the first four bars of the first verse mm is something I can relate to from just from personal experience. Right. Being a little kid asleep in the backseat of a car driven by my parents 
you know, there are going to be some times where my two younger brothers are there with us mm. and I'm like falling in and out of sleep. Who hasn't had that experience when they're driving with with family members or with loved ones? Like that's yeah. just something that happens. Right. Mm-hmm. And then what I love is that. Is that it pivots so quickly into that's what they said when she saw him dead in the road. Now, now I know it was the shadow of them black wings on marks. And then so like. So you have this angel of death image that comes right after finding out that somebody in the middle of the road is dead. And then after that, you have an unmarked car following them for 10 blocks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and then the image of brake lights, bright red, lit his face like a demon. We took a left. They went straight. We all laughed, but I've seen it. I've, I mean, I've also been in, maybe not in that exact situation, but I, you know, I, I've driven with the police behind me before, obviously as a white man, it's not racial profiling, Mm. but like I've driven with the police behind me before, just kind of waiting for me to make a mistake so they can give me a ticket. And so, you know, the, just understanding that, 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 especially in the United States is going to be, that kind of anxiety is going to be magnified by a hundred million for a black man driving by himself, let alone a group of black men in the car. So Mm. I think that I think that that's something uh, that's interesting about Wood's work as well. And then, you know, um, some had the trap in the trunk of the Beamer. Some kept the cracks up front so they could eat them. Some went through the windshield. Some went to the precinct. Some Like just mm-hmm. he goes into like all of these images are, are like flashing. Like all I can see is the, the front seat, like the driver's seat and the passenger seat of the car. Mm. And all I can see are these different scenes like flashing through the same setting. I mean, it's incredible the places that Woods can take you in his rhymes. Yeah. Really and truly. It's such a short amount of time. Yeah. And I think that's what struck me about this album in particular was I think I listened to nothing but this album for like a few days after it came out. Cause I met, it was probably more than a few days. If I'm being for real, I probably listened to this for like a couple weeks straight because it was just, <laughs> you know, it was a world. I obviously it was not, it was a world that is a, as somebody who appreciates good literature, I never wanted to leave. But yeah. obviously as a human being, there are so many things that are present in that album that are unpleasant to think about or to picture or to imagine. Mm. And so I think that, and I, which I think is another strength of woods is that, he's able to add dimension to a lot of these stories that we've heard in music before, but we've only really seen like one to two dimensions of it, mm-hmm. or we see it in popular culture and it's a caricature of what it actually looks like. And I think that's one of the things that draws me to Woods music drew me to that album in particular. And then this song is just so emotionally affecting in so many ways, even like the Bob Marley interpolation in the hook, yeah, Mr. Brown, where uh, yeah, man. From Mandeville to Sligoville, coughing, running around, upsetting, upsetting, upsetting the town. From Mandeville to Sligoville, coughing, running around, upsetting, upsetting, upsetting the town. Asking for Mr. Brown. He's a he's a genius. He's a genius, bro. Yeah. I love I love Woods to death. I'll be saying that if I didn't know him. And uh, yeah, I think a song like this is a perfect example of his genius as a writer. Yeah, it really takes you to 101 different places and you just don't know where you're going next. 
just to speak on preservation's production though, before I jump into some of the lyrics myself, I think that kind of mournful beauty to this song, even the way I know when you listen to an album, it's a different experience, but as I have been listening to just this singular song, the fact it comes in on that abrupt, awkward horn, like a quarter of a horn is you're in and it's a really unsettling way to start a trap, bro. Like it's a really, like, oh, it wakes you up and makes you pay attention. And I think there's this real long shadow, I, I like to call it, of this song, because it feels like there's this inherent dimness to it. It's just a dim, lit kind of song, and if I can't put it another way. But then in it has this beat switch where, oh my God, that drum and cymbal kind of heaven, you know, it's just that kind of high, and just that sublime gear shift. And just that on loop, you know, is is crazy in its own way. Cause it's kind of like, kind of hypnotizing in a weird way. But then if you listen to the album, I remember the transition from this to Heavy Water. I just remember that being one of my favorite little journeys in the album as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, going into the bars, I was looking up. Christine, I think I might have just Googled it. I can't remember, like, and Billy would just see if he'd said anything else. And I didn't, I did not know he'd referenced Christine a few times. Uh, he's referenced it on Blockhead's um, Slippery Slope. To do list, Christine. Once your name on the list, the lights green. Peeled out the impounded Christine. I remember when whites used to come to the hood, ask random black strangers for drugs. Shrug. Wistful look in the eye, blinking hard like those was the day's blood. And uh, that that was one where I didn't know he'd already referenced Christine. So this kind of recurring theme in his music, I always love to go back to that. Um, but yeah, you know what hit me first was the that there's a noise in my head. Uh, last thing my father said on Dirge, uh, when he said that, it reminded me of this when he's talking about uh, his parents arguing a man in the middle of the road. I just remember hearing that story of his dad dying, you know, mm. and that if anybody ever listened to Dirge, that is some of the most heartfelt, heartbreaking lyrics in, in like I said, he's an incredible writer. There's a noise in my head. Last thing my father said on the side of a road, then he was dead. Saw my first body at seven. My friend, they said he went to heaven, but I remember his bike twisted. Wheels still stuck in that truck hood. So yeah, I don't sleep that good. Get up and roll the wood. Feed the cancer in my chest. Tumors kill half my family. AIDS gonna take the rest. Fuck, I need a vest. Diabetes kill more niggas than bullets. Gotta get, please pull it. But I just think what with this, with that horn, it just puts you so much into the scene with no backstory. I don't know what the word for that is. You, 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 you're more of an academic probably than I am. But that kind of um, idea of bang, you're in. There's no you're in it and he's already asleep and bang, everything starts to happen. There's no like kind of build up, like who's the kind of characters we're with. Um, just epic writing. I thought that's what I've got down here, but yeah, no, this, this in that lulled by street lamps and the blackness in between, you could read that so many different ways, but uh, no, I was looking at the commentary on bright lights, right? Let's see. So this is the thing you were talking about that bright lights line, right? And I love that line and uh, we all laugh, but I seen it. I love how, I've been there as well when did nobody see that? Like that kind of thing. It was a really weird thing. Or are we all laughing to comfort ourselves, but we yeah. have all understood what we've just seen. Right. But I read it as the police coming in and those being the devils with the right lights and uh, that kind of 
idea of the police stopping and how you maybe normalize it by just laughing about it but you've all seen it and you've all been in it so i don't know maybe i am one of the people who's overcomplicating it but i went, nah, I you're, went there you're not it's true it's true right like break lights bright red lit his face like a demon like that's how you know he's looking in the rear view mirror mm. and he can see he can see that they're close enough to see his face he's close enough to see their faces in the rear view yeah you know yeah. like i've I've been in that situation before, maybe not with the police, but like, you know, you hit the brake lights and you look in the rear view mirror, you're driving at night and it's like, whoa, like what you see in the rear view is just kind of crazy. Just, yeah. a, just a little bit. Yeah. Um, even if even if you're you could be driving in front of the nicest 85 year old woman in the world. And just in that particular moment, it's like somebody find an exorcist. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just like, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that, I think that. um Nah, Woods is a very, I think, a very present writer. And I think that when it comes to writing uh, poetry, and I think this this also tracks for raps as well. If you think about somebody like Prodigy opening a line like, I break bread, ribs, $100 bills. If you think of Sean Price opening a verse with just the word like Botswana, you know, I think it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. the idea of the idea of you know, instead of going through the front door, going through the window. That was something I always heard about. You know, you don't always have to start at once upon a time. You yeah. know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. you could just drop people straight into the action and let them figure it figure it out as it's happening. Mm. And I think it makes for a much more exciting narrative. Mm. Yeah, okay. love that. And the idea of ba and like you had the narrative, but to have the concept of making it about a car and the history of a car. And there's that whole moment, and I haven't got the lyrics to hand for this moment, but where he's talking about how ramshackle the car is. It's got an odd door. Uh, the grandma's, she doesn't wave goodbye. So there's something wrong with this car as it's driving off. And I just find it really kind of an interesting concept he went with about cars. And then that whole, the lyrics you've talked about with the windshield and the precinct and the, um, you know, what, you know, put it in the trunk of the bimmer or you got to eat the crack before the police come kind of thing. There's so many m moments to that, but you know what I love about woods taking me to a universe that I didn't know I needed. I didn't know existed. I didn't know I could experience it this way. Is that sample reference from Bob Marley and the Whalers on that uh, Mandeville to yeah. Sligerville. And okay, I, I I had heard Mr. Brown, but I hadn't heard it this way. And when I went back to listen to Mr. Brown, I was like, do you know what? The fact that Woods has got me looking at Jamaican urban legends is mad. That is, that's the power of his yeah. music. It takes me there. What's that other line where he talks about uh, someone was his neighbor? I think man, he's too high like Miriam is my neighbor. Whoever it is moved in and put an automated gate up. Repainted brick walls atop which now cameras rotated. I do not know who this guy is when he, I can't remember what song it is, but, um, but yeah, I've explained that really badly, but I, I love how, I love how he does that to me. And uh, he's bringing that unique background personality to make my own world view a little bit different. And um, just mm. to understand what other people's heritage is a little bit. And we've not even got to Mike Ladd yet. Like Mike Ladd, I think on here, holds his own with Woods. I don't know what you thought of that, but yeah, I don't know if you had any, any more notes on what I was just saying. saying. No, I mean, I think I think the, the idea of there being a Grim Reaper figure like Mr. Brown mm. 
I think it's almost like you have this angel of death following these cars around Mm. based on what's happening. So, I mean, the opening lines of the second verse, they're looking for the vehicle, took the plates off, put it in his granny backyard, told her something believable. Yeah. He got killed. It was still there for a year or two. I've seen it driving through granny on the stoop. She never waved back. Like just in that, in those, in that very small space, it's the, the things he's telling you. He did something he shouldn't have done. Mm. It involved it involved this car that they tried to hide at his friend's granny's house. They looking for the vehicle, took the plates off, put it in his granny backyard, told her something believable. He got killed, it was still there for a year or two. I see it driving through, granny on the stoop. She never waved back. High grass, four flats, four with the front passenger door mismatched. Blacked out truck with the rifle rack, the hunter checks his trap. Baked car with the kill switch, gingerbread house full of abused kids. Inflatable sky dancer said no money down. Every sign said if you live here, you'd be home now. Asleep at the wheel. Gently over the guardrail, flip heads and tails. One died, she survived. As why I replied, God's not real. This dude dies, and his grandmother knows enough to know that what they were up to couldn't have been any good. The thing that they involved her grandson in mm. couldn't have been any good to the extent where the next, every time they wave at her, she never waves back because she knows that whatever they were up to, it, it could have possibly gotten her and this is all speculation on my part this is me making inferences based on what i see in the lyrics but mm. you know like she never she never forgot it's like yeah you can keep the car here and yeah you were probably not up to any good in the process but at the same time don't expect me to be polite to you when i see you because yeah. i know you're up to no good yeah and i know that you used i know that you used me to get away with doing something potentially bad mm. um mm. and then you know then um, it shifts from that scene to blacked out truck with the rifle rack. The hunter checks his traps. Bait car with the kill switch. Kill switch. Yeah. Yeah. So a bait car, for those of you who might not be, who might not know for the unindoctrinated, or whatever word that is, I don't know. My, my, my brain is, uh, my brain is working, but at a slower pace than it typically is. That's all good. Um, a bait car is essentially it's a it's a it's a car that the police specifically put in certain neighborhoods to see if anybody will steal it. And there was something that happened in Chicago for a long time where the they were parking eighteen wheeler trucks with boxes of Nikes in there and leaving the leaving the door open. And just leaving the trucks out there for a whole day and nobody fell for it because everybody is like, there's no possible way that somebody is mm. like just casually going to do this. So I think the fact that it goes to the hunter checks his traps, the wordplay with trap and bait and then bait car with the kill switch then goes to gingerbread house full of abused kids. Mm. It could be prison. It could be group homes. Mm-hmm. And then it's inflatable sky dancer said no money down. Every sign said, if you lived here, you'd be home now. Like just the signs you read in the neighborhood. And then it goes right back to the anecdote that it started the song asleep at the wheel, gently over the guardrail, flipped heads or tails. tails. One dot, she survived. That's why I replied, God's not real, which also does something that Woods is so good at. 
which mm. is just punching you right in the stomach. Like yeah. just, just like this is this is a line. I'm just gonna give you the, this couplet right here that's just gonna completely knock you on your ass. Yeah, and then duck the question in a hospital room full of flowers. I plucked the best one in a world full of cowards. It's bound to be tension. Like, yo, man, he's. I mean, he's brilliant. The things he's able to to pull out of a rhyme and the way, like. For him to circle back to the first four bars, considering the amount of different places he took us yes. since he first introduced them is like his his rhymes, his verses move like a train of thought or a memory does. Like if you've ever had a flashback or been reminded of something that then reminds you of a bunch of other memories, that's kind of how the verse mm. works in my mind. So um yeah, man, this is, I mean, this song is so incredible for so many reasons, but I, yeah, I think that, that yes. I mean, you've, you've met him, right? So I just wonder yeah. how his mind is wired, maybe like that. Maybe that's how his, because you have stream of consciousness rap. We've all grown up with Doom. We know how that sounds and where it's originated from. I get it. And obviously you have the whole West Coast collective with Hyro and people like that. It wasn't so stream of consciousness. It was like battle rapping. But out mm. of like uh, the poetry from that end, you know, and I just think where like, this stream of consciousness is kind of structured though. There is a structure, like you said, it's cyclical at times. It has punchlines that aren't that that stream of consciousness is so cruel. It's such a cruel yeah. way of taking you like, mate, one died, she survived, asked why are applied, God's not real. Like that has a heft to it and a pitch black humour. Like it is funny in a weird really fucked up way it's kind of and that's what he makes me feel fucked up ways like i think yeah. should i should i be feeling like that it's like good um stand-up comedy or great uh you you say literature i would say uh like art as in like painting sometimes that's just fucked up what's happening here but it's also like yeah, but it's kind of a feeling I've never really felt before. But yeah, no, it's, it's just amazing. And that whole idea of in a world full of cowards, it's bound to be tension is uh, it's so loaded. And I, you know, I look at my TV today and the shit going on in the world. If you just yeah. took that one line out and didn't even put it in the context of this song, Woods has delivered something that is so pertinent that, you know, people be getting this on their Instagram quote cards or whatever it is. You know what I mean, that is a, like, that's a fucking hefty bar. Um, one thing I have, and again, it's like the Cuban links thing. I haven't deciphered this song to this level, really, even doing an episode on it. I don't understand the sports reference. I know he loves sports references. I still haven't deciphered. And maybe I don't have the sports uh, vernacular in the U S to decipher this, but the playing of the kind of strawberry, like reference of there's a I think it's like a baseball a, game yeah yeah the, uh, it, it would probably be either the Mets or the Dodgers talking about Daryl Strawberry Daryl Strawberry yeah, right playing baseball yeah Right, who himself I feel was had some altercations with the law, and like again, is that is that something to go with? I don't know if he was ever 
in, in a car accident or whatever. But yeah, again, see, I need to unpack this and really, I just haven't had that time to get into it. Um, but I don't think we could leave the chat without talking about Mike Ladd. I think Mike Ladd on here, fuck 23 and me, mom's an inventor, is such, it may be dated in a while when people don't know what 23 and me like kind of is, but that whole DNA reference and I don't know if he's disregarding his heritage. It feels like he's quite proud of it, but just saying I'm this original that my mom's an inventor. I love that. And then do you know what he does really well is just that kind of mm. the lyrics going through time periods, locations, f- fucking referencing slave trade routes. Like it's a lot packed into that uh, verse. I didn't know if you had anything you wanted to really dip into with Mike Ladd's verse, but the refer- the, bre- the the sheer bandwidth and breadth he's gone into on that verse is pretty aspiring. Fuck 23 and me, mom's an inventor. From our DNA to Cambridge, Mass, my fate, that's Skippy and Poole. Dispatch from Venice, holla Stacey and Kilgari, tying that car, Mama Nia and Molly in Obama co property. Jump to Imperial Benin, 15th century. Trade rules heavy. Break the bank like moose. Myth the gold, truth the plenty. We still feed on dreams and need a remedy. Trauma, not an enemy. Perverse German woodcuts could have been truer. Three heads on a jackal, fantastic creatures in Africa. Universalist cosmographia. I mean, Mike Ladd is is one of the most amazing writers I've heard in rap. Like, and a lot of his work reminds me of like Césaire notebook of a return to the native lands where just the things he's doing with language and the images he's putting in your head Mm. are things that require repeat listening to fully comprehend Mm. and understand and you know like you just you have to there's like even a line like fuck 23 and me mom's an inventor from our dna to cambridge mass like just those first that first couplet it's like I would wrap my brain in a pretzel trying to figure out like what Woods was saying in the interview, right? Like I'll be trying to wrap my brain in a pretzel, just trying to figure out what he's trying to convey there. Mm. But he's so brilliant in terms of the way he uses language. And even as an interlude, a standalone interlude rhyme that really has more to do with the overall theme of the album. I don't necessarily know that it has something specific to do with the song christine Mm. um but even just as an interlude to lead us back into a song like heavy water uh yeah i mean he's mike lad mike lad is like one of those people i'm gonna be listening to for the rest of my life trying to figure out in a good way in a good way i love that i love that i can listen to music like that and take something new away from it every time and Mm. I do the same thing with Woods, you know? Bro, uh, and this is it. This is where hip-hop kind of converges with my other kind of just the joys of life and learning about history and like kind of just, you know, you have your podcast, you have your YouTube, you can do all that and learn, and I like to learn. But when he's talking about referencing Musa, and I was like, oh, shit, I've not, like, outside of my history podcasts, I've not really heard anyone reference Musa and then, like, just one of the wealthiest kind of African, like just forgotten that this, how rich, you know, some of these people were in like the 1300s. And that's what I'm talking about. The history, bro, the history of the 1300s. Like you're going there with it. He read the assignment on Ethiopes, I feel, but this is exactly, it fits so nicely into the whole idea of this album. But um, 
also just that Sebastian Munster lying bastard and that kind of thing of, I did not know when he references Wolfman in a speedo Cyclops and Chessmaster, I had to look that up and I didn't know there was a book there in, I've got it right here in the year 50. What other hip hop is taking you to the year 1544? Right. Uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? What other hip hop is doing that? And, in, and you're enjoying it. And I saw uh, Sebastian Munster's Cosmo, is, is that, I can't remember. Cosmographia. Cosmographia. Yeah. That's it. I've never seen this before. I have no idea what the history is. But the fat Mike lad is putting me in that situation where I want to learn more about this world and this history is um, just pretty incredible that this one song has all of this in it, if you know what I mean. And uh, yeah, no, it's, it's uh, yeah, just incredible. Just an incredible song. Um, what have I got here? I haven't got much more. Uh, okay. So here, the last kind of category I have for, for this then is really onwards, and you could probably extend this to preservation as well, but um, what they've given us so much. So what, who are we to ask for any more, really? But if you were in a position where you were privileged position to say, what would I like next from Woods? Would it be a collaboration with someone new? What or, or are you open to just anything he brings? Where are you at with that? Like, I don't know. Do you always think about what next for your favourite artist kind of thing? I don't know. I mean, something I something I love about Woods is every project, even if he's doubling back to a collaborator he's worked with before, mm. is is entirely unexpected. Either in terms of the sounds or the concepts or mm. the approaches or the stories he's telling. Like, I I couldn't have told you that Hiding Places was going to sound like what I thought. Like Hiding Places sounded nothing like what I thought it was going to sound like, mm. and this album sounded nothing like what I thought it was going to sound like either, Ethiop. So I'm somebody who's just, whenever Billy Woods decides to put out music, I'm listening to it. And fortunately, he tends to do that around times when I'm wrapping up music projects of my own. <laughs> That's quite nice, yeah. So I like wrapping up the writing process for projects of my own, so it'll put that extra battery in my back. And now, after this conversation, and this is the other thing I love about Woods as an artist, I'm definitely about to go home and, and revisit Ethiopes for the next few days. So I'll take whatever I can get from Woods, from Preservation. Preservation, too, I think something I love about his production on this album is it's just the perfect canvas for Woods to be one of the best writers mm. ever. Like, this is this is probably, this and Hiding Places, I think, are, my two, are tied for first in terms of wow. the best Woods albums. That's big. And I... And I love, look, Woods has put out a lot of music I love mm. and I really rock with. But these, those two albums in particular, it's like the amount of things that are, that are being conveyed, the, the lyrics within the songs, the songs independent, like the songs just playing, right? The album experience with both is amazing. But, mm. you know, it's also like, those are those are my five mic classics. If everything else is four and a half mics, there's nothing wrong with that either. Oh, you know yeah, what I'm saying? absolutely. Kind of brings me on to what what we think of Woods's kind of legacy. Like, what is the next generation going to need to know about Woods? Like, where will he stand? I, I know it's really hard to kind of put that into like thought patterns of of where it could go because who knew that Doom would go where he'd go or Madly would go where he'd go or you know Nas would go where Nas had gone. And I think this is interesting for Woods. Maybe 
maybe we look backwards then and what do we think of this last what say oh just over 10 years for woods like since say say 2010 from then for woods wh- how do you think that will be remembered so i've been i've been watching woods perform in chicago since 2015 right so and when he came to chicago it was on a bill that i was headlining it was my first headlining show and he and prem rock and mo nichols were passing through on tour mm. and i actually they they this very classroom i had a rap workshop here and woods and prem came through for the rap workshop and like built with the kids right that's wicked and uh yeah yeah, yeah. and so um but every time I've seen Woods and or Elucid come to Chicago and rock, the line at the merch table has been longer and longer and the venue has been more and more packed. Like the venues have gotten bigger and mm. the audiences have gotten bigger to accommodate that. So I think Woods, when we look back, especially considering he had a career where he was putting out 10 years worth of music before History Will Absolve Me came out. Mm. I think he reminds me a lot of people like Doom and Sean Price, Rock Marcy. Yeah. There is this there is this vanguard of the underground where he represents something very specific and unique that people are going to be coming back to and studying forever. Mm. So I think that, that that for me and he also gave a bunch of permission for people like myself to to do what we wanted to do in music. Oh, you think this is dope? Then put it out. You yeah. need to do this, this, and this to sharpen whatever it is you do as best you can, but do it, put it out, see what the response is. Keep it moving from there. Never, never telegraph your punches, you know? Yeah. Always keep them guessing with the next one. So. I think that's Woods' legacy for sure. And yeah, he's, I mean, you know, he's up there with Sean Price and Rakim and Biggie and Jay is, you know, one of my my favorite. Those are like my five favorite rappers of all time, you know, so mm. it's not an Andre 3000. So if you if you <laughs> think about that kind of, yeah, that kind of company to be a part of. Mm. I don't think I'm the only person who feels that way. And I think that that's going to be reflective. That's w- going to be what Woods legacy is reflective of. It's like one of he opened the door for a lot of us to do what we wanted to do and potentially support ourselves in the process mm. while also encouraging us to just step our shit up at every level. Because anytime I listen to Woods, I realize I'm not as good at rapping or writing as I think I am. I got to step my shit up. Steel sharp and steel, my friend. That's the yep. thing though, right? And it's it's a beautiful thing. Just as a listener, someone on the sidelines just kind of drinking all this in. It's just an incredible time to uh, live in, just to see the, I don't even want to call it, it's just the underground, just, just being so rich with it just reminds me of growing up you know it just reminds me of being that teenager and not knowing where to start tribe gangstar where you know yeah. or, and you were like holy shit where do i even fucking start i now as i have got older realize how lucky i was at that time to have mm-hmm. that but then i also realize there's never been a moment in my life where i've gone yeah hip-hop's not delivered for me this year there's always been something and i might check to ch- tastes have changed but that something has just become 
a tidal wave ever since like i would say 2016 2015 around that time every mm. year's got crazier and crazier and i remember just like 2022 20 i was like i think is this the best year this can't be the best year but i have listeners we have listeners to this show who are adamant this is the best five-year run in hip-hop like ever and it really angers mm. some of the other 90s golden era heads but i'm here for that chat which is like you've had the rise and maintain sustained brilliance of woods rock alchemist car like car like i would love to hear car and woods like more you know and yeah. i wonder how that would sound but do you know what i mean like to think about what we've had and um i know that's not overground commercial rap but i mean there has been good records there as well it's just there uh, yeah so yeah no it's just been really good to dip into this and you know what i want to do a whole series of woods with you now because it feels like you you are delivering <laughs> you've got the lyrics you've got the history it's yeah absolutely amazing um but look def uh, where can we find you what what are you got coming up next uh what do you want to promo anything please drop uh, it. the golem of brooklyn original soundtrack is out now anywhere you can stream and purchase music for myself and Messiah music the Album is a soundtrack to Adam Mansbach's novel, The Golem of Brooklyn, which is absolutely brilliant. It features the legendary DJ Cucumber Slice, a.k.a. Bobito Garcia. Love that. And yeah, I do too, man. That's That was surreal hearing him say my rap name on a record. I lost my mind. I bet. And I bet. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, just, you know, more music is coming this year next year just you know again to bring it back to who we've been talking about this whole time you got to keep while you have the hot hand you got to keep working got to just keep working and keep working and living life and you'll always have something to write about mm. and so yeah just be on the lookout for new stuff for me that's it beautiful man beautiful well before we go deaf last great piece of music you heard could be old could be new just the last great piece and it can't be christine okay so i heard i was listening to a snippet i don't know if this counts but there's an unreleased snippet of a schoolboy q song that cal banks played during his boiler room set that's ph phenomenal Crazy. What's going on? She getting tricky out here, my nigga. What's going on? He tell her, he tell her, he tell her, he tell her. What's going on? Man, it was supposed to be a secret, my Oh, God, you niggas lame. Oh, God, you niggas shame. And that had me listening to a whole bunch of Schoolboy Q. I also really loved the title track that closed And Then You Pray For Me by West Side Gun. I was listening to that song kind of over and over and over and over again this weekend. Walking by faith I did my first further from faith I from the lake too much of blood spill, pays no mistake. Walking by faith. I need my first, that's further from faith. I sit from the lake. 
yeah, by I think Casey or Kasi, I don't know how the artist's name is pronounced, but I love that song. I just kept listening to it over and over again. So that's another one I want to shout out to. Interesting. Uh, thoughts on West Side Gun's uh, little dalliance in trap? I think he just made music he wanted to hear at the strip club. <laughs> I fair. think that that's. I think I think that that's. If you followed West Side Gun's career or like his Instagram stories or whatever, like I think something I always loved and appreciated about West Side Gun is he makes the music he wants to hear. Like he just wants to make the soundtrack to his life. And there are times where it may work for other listeners and times where it doesn't, but I don't think he cares one way or the other. I think he rocks with it. And I think it's capturing the essence that he wants to capture. Mm. So, you know, I got to respect that kind of, I got to respect that kind of persistence when it comes to making music. Yeah. You know, love that. Love that. Well, Def, thank you so much for your time, your passion, your insight. Uh, we will be bringing more with Def C at some point. Go check out the music. And for now, bro, yeah, just keep pushing, bro. Just keep pushing and keep shining. Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate you, man. Peace. Peace. Peace.